This podcast is a member of the Red 5 Network. For more Red 5 Network podcasts and content creators, visit bio.link slash red5. Hey, this is Todd Hoffman from WSTR Galactic Public Access, and you're listening to Conversations with Pat and Charles. These two goofballs will make you laugh, and you'll learn a little bit something about Star Wars. Hey, Pat and Charles, Cam here. And Bub. And Bub, always. Thank you. You kind of remind me of another favorite duo of mine. So this is for you guys. Catchy. Conversations, you're the one. You make Star Wars lots of fun. Yeah, you do. Conversations made the force be strong with you. Sing it, Bubby. Yeah, Bub. Pat and Charles, you're so grand. Never afraid to lend a helping hand. That's true. Conversations made the force be strong with. Absolutely be strong with. I see what you did. Oh, oh conversations made the force be strong with you. Hey, the force be with you guys. Love you, dudes. Hello! Welcome to Conversations. I am Charles. And I'm Pat, and this is episode 112, Star Wars Shipyard. Bring it back this way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Hold it there. No, this one goes here, that one goes there. Okay, 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 okay. Easy, easy. Yeah, bring it in here. Okay. Yeah, drop it down. Okay, hold. Blueprint 1, The Ghost. This is a whole new series we're starting here. We are. The ships of Star Wars. We did um, talk about some ships. Mm -hmm. We've talked about the Falcon in the past. And um, kind of some one-offs for those. But, um, you know, we wanted to kind of dive into the some of the different ships there are. And take a sort of a engineering mechanical approach to the design and, and utilization of some of these uh, ships. Mm-hmm. And just how important these are, almost as characters, as we've, as we've talked about in the past. You know, like the Millennium Falcon and the X-Wing. But there's a certain breakdown beyond just how they appear and how they get our heroes from point a to point b uh and maybe some villains we'll see about that um Mm -hmm. but yeah and we decided to start with this one because shortly after this episode goes live uh it's the ahsoka series uh that is correct and this episode plus the one after it is gonna be a two-part episode suite that we're calling the road to the ahsoka series and of course if you've seen rebels uh, you'll know the importance of uh, Ahsoka's character within that storyline and heavily influences what we could be seeing in that series. Yes, that's exciting. And it's good to kind of go back and touch on some of these things that uh, will no doubt impact that series to some degree and kind of take a little trip down that hyperspace lane again. <laughs> hyperspace memory lane. Right, exactly. <laughs> So, the Ghost, the VCX-100 light freighter. Yeah, you know, upon initial uh, inspection of this ship, uh, it's got very Falcon-esque 
qualities to it. Mm, yeah. It's that sort of rounded, sort of very bizarrely shaped ship. Um, and yes. uh, they were manufactured by the Karelian Engineering Corporation, which mm. if you listen to our Falcon episode, uh, it's the same shipbuilder. So, uh, episode 32, by the way. Exactly. So <laughs> that would be a lot of the sort of framework for for why the two of them are, are similar looking. And since Rebels is so heavily influenced by Ralph McQuarrie, it really has a lot of those initial um, qualities that the um, that the Falcon had in a lot of early scripts. So there were several sort of drawings that were very similar to the Falcon. And they were all, you know, Macquarie inspired and then is really versatile and, and has great maneuverability and everything. It's really a very cool ship. We'll get to the modifications a bit later, but it's a freighter, it's a light freighter, as, as we know. The basic design gives it that nimbleness and ability to maneuver uh, quickly because it's small sort of frame and uh, it's relative size difference from the larger freighters and let's say the YT-100, you know, the... Um, the Millennium Falcon. Some of those drawings in that Rebels book that you have, we're going to uh, post some of those with the episode art because they're just phenomenal. And interestingly, as we're talking about that design, the Ghost Cockpit was originally designed for the Silver Angel Starship. It was going to be in the sixth season of Star Wars The Clone Wars, of course, which never happened because it was cancelled. So, as we saw in, uh, in the Netflix series The Lost Missions, it was more lore-based and everything, and then um, so we never got to see that, but um, we did see that the Silver Angel, as it's, as a name, uh, did eventually end up appearing in the seventh season of uh, the Clone Wars. So that's a cool little uh, little tidbit as well about the, the design itself. Yeah, yeah, and it's like you said, with the design being what it is, and everything tying in to itself with um, mm -hmm. you know the name, the Ghost, yes, and the Spectre crew, yeah. And it's able to, through the piloting prowess of Hera, it's able yes. to slip in and out of these different places pretty well undetected, like, like a ghost. Yeah, yeah. And like you said, so important is that this, this tool, along with some of the modifications, but really it does come down to Hera's ability and her, and her piloting that makes it like a lethal weapon that's like, you know, became the thorn in the side of the Empire during the oh, entire yeah. rebellion. So, so the standard BCX-100, basically it came with sleeping quarters, you know, galley and common room. The armaments were pretty based, well, pretty standard from what, you know, we see in the, in the uh, Rebels. It has the dorsal turret and the frontal turret. I mean, what's kind of fun, the dorsal turret has an astromech socket. So uh, <laughs> I want to jump into there. And then the frontal turret, which, you know, could be uh, controlled by a gunner. But both of them could actually be controlled by the pilot. Mm-hmm. It had a cargo bay, and the main entrance ramp was located in the front of the freighter just below the forward turret. And um, so those basic pieces were common to all VCX models, but we definitely see something different in the, uh, the Rebel series. And there's quite a few uh, modifications that she did um, throughout the series to make that VCX become the ghost. You know, what, what is a uh, light freighter without some special modifications? <laughs> invading those imperial run-ins <laughs> oh man and what was funny too is that i didn't know that um the, the the sort of circular side on well on the millennium falcon 
originally. And then both of them on the ghost, those are docking rings, which makes mm-hmm. complete sense. But then you see really how versatile that ghost is with those two-sided pieces. And it gives it that really cool look as well. Yeah, it's much like um, on the top of the Falcon where um, Lando and Leia save Luke on Best. That's right, yes. You know, it's that sort of circular entryway. Um, you know, obviously that one is, is on the top side. It's more vertical, but it's the same concept where you would, you know, pull up beside a, another vessel or a uh, space station and just, you know, like magnetically lock in and then open up and yeah. there you go. Yeah, yeah. It also had magnetic cargo clamps on the ventral plating so that could actually like really stack, and we saw that in the show as well, stack uh, shipping yeah. containers on it and just like slap them on there, which was really cool. And those came in handy uh, in several different occasions and several different <laughs> applications throughout the series. Oh, <laughs> like yeah. you said, to avoid uh, some problems. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and it just it's interesting how it can maneuver like to to the same effectiveness as like tie fighters even because it's yes. got it's got the engines on the back and they're and they're spaced out in such a way that that it can really almost turn on a dime yeah it's very nimble yeah and like you said like with the tie fighters you know they're like slicing through space and there's been several examples of the ghost taking out tie fighters again you know with the the different kind of turrets they have and but also again down to the piloting skills of Hera for sure Oh, yeah, definitely. So it's got the main cockpit, and mm-hmm. um, and it's interesting because these seats are all very personalized for everybody in the crew. Um, so, yeah, it's like you can see Sabine's seat has, like, has been modified and painted and stuff. And then so um, cool. Kanan and, and uh, Hera's seats up front are, you know, his is certainly more um utilitarian than anything um (laughs) and then zeb's is like all scratched up and stuff Um, (laughs) because of course it is um yes (laughs) and uh so then you know then there's the turret like you mentioned below that and then the crew quarters right behind it um Mm -hmm. you know you're looking at like 46 meters or something yeah it's not very big you're right yeah so Mm -hmm. you know everything has to have its own sort of specific places, uh, 43.9 meters. So um, you need to really utilize your space in order to accommodate seven uh, crew members. Right. And they're like right on top of each other. The whole idea of family, uh, you know, within the ghost crew itself before, you know, Ezra came on board on Lothal, but because the nature of the ship that they were using was mostly like a traveling base, they didn't really have a, a strict place where they could land and, and uh, until much later in the series. So while they they were able to convert the small, the relatively small space of the ghost, they used every inch of it to what it needed to be used for, including the quarters and, and uh, Chopper and um, was in there. But like when Ezra became part of the crew, him and Zeb shared the um, his quarters. So yeah, they didn't really have much space to mess with. And, you know, either you're going to deal with your problems or not as a family, you're in each other's space all the time. Exactly, yeah. So, um, you know, it was great for the get up and go needs of a, you know, of a, of a rebel cell because yeah. you you had everything with you all the time and, and you could pack up and go. But he makes for some 
tight quarters and some interesting um, interactions between maybe less than uh, less than best of friends, I think. <laughs> Especially if someone's having a bad day. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. But then, of course, they also had the table, like the yes. Jarek table. You know, mm-hmm. because you got to have some downtime at some point. But exactly. uh, um, of course, the the airlocks, like you mentioned, with entryways on the sides. You know what I mean? Right. Uh, and of course, you know, the, like you had mentioned, the bunks where they sp- <laughs> spent the rest of their time. <laughs> <laughs> yes, indeed. <laughs> oh my god! Sabine's quarters, which were her own, uh, were completely customized and uh, decorated to her liking, of course, and off limits to everybody else. Obvious. Come on. Yeah. Now. <laughs> and then there was a, like a small cargo hold area um, in the bottom. I think they smuggled moofs or something. I, I believe they did. Yes. Space, space cows of some kind. Space, space um, pigs, yeah. <laughs> yes. So, you know, there's a cargo area uh, not large enough for uh, accommodating for the likes of uh, space farm animals. However... <laughs> <laughs> um, enough to get the job done. <laughs> and that's it. That, I mean, being the light freighter, you're talking about smaller shipping containers. While they still had those magnetic clamps on the outside, they could put larger ones there. If we're talking about being inside the ship, um, that sort of greatly reduces the, the size and capacity of it. But uh, in certain cases, we've seen they're shipping armaments or gas or consumables for, especially on some of their more mercy runs. But that cargo area certainly limits its uh, long-haul capabilities for freighters. But then you give up size, you get the nimbleness back and the maneuverability. Yeah, and, you know, again, for their purposes, you know, they're not hauling large amounts of, uh, of, of goods. So it's like, you know, if you needed that, you could obviously, you know, use another ship. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> it's called a living falcon. <laughs> they have no trouble. Um, Borrowing without permission. Yes. <laughs> Very often. <laughs> yes. So, uh, you know, in that respect, that would be the um, the route that they would take if they needed a larger vessel. But, exactly. um, you know, the other interesting thing about this ship is the recon work that they can do with the Phantom. Oh, yes. The, uh, the auxiliary starfighter, that little notch there between the two main engines. Yes. Yes. That's really cool. Yeah. It's almost like... Um, recon ship or uh, uh it could be used as a uh, escape pod it's just yep. a um like a secondary vessel with a couple engines on it that they could you know sneak in even further undetected which yeah has, has come in handy for them uh, time and time again yeah and one of their innovations they used with that little phantom was if they docked it in that notch uh tail forward the armament that's on the back of the auxiliary starfighter that also became part of their weapons array Yes. With that in play, you're looking at almost like a 360 degree spread of blasters or um, cannons that allow it to protect itself and and lay waste to some impressively sized ships that they were able to take down, like the uh, Architans class command cruiser. They they were able to destroy that just with its own armaments, which you wouldn't think that would be possible, but that's uh, that was done in the show. Yeah, and it's really got a lot of power to its punch mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. you know because you've got these cannons that just are 
really, really very effective. And with the maneuverability of the ship and the array of weaponry, it's just like you got a good enough uh, gunner and a good enough pilot, you can really do some serious business. Yeah. Now, I couldn't find anything you know written specifically about it, but I get the feeling that the the turrets and most likely probably not on the Phantom, but the rest of the turrets or the rest of the uh, armaments may have been upgraded for strength, you know, like more damage dealing, because it seems like they pack a punch more than just the standard VCX 100. Yeah, and I, I wouldn't be surprised between Sabine and Hera that they really uh, upgraded a lot of the uh, <laughs> yes. a lot of the weaponry on that thing. Yeah, and speaking of some of the modifications they did do, aside from potentially the guns, that led um, even more lore to the ghost name of this uh, of this ship was some of the upgrades and modifications that they did to the stealth systems and the way they could hide themselves from Imperial sensors. Yes. So we've got examples like the engines themselves were baffled. So, yes. so you're trying to sort of like changing the waveforms of those sensors. And they have energy dampeners and static jammers, making the ship itself very hard to detect because it just becomes like, almost like background noise. Yeah, and it just really had the most uh, like amped up effectiveness without uh, making it, you know, bulky and cumbersome. You know, right? But you had that firepower, you had that horsepower type of, uh, <laughs> yes. you know, like like that sort of um, oomph. To really just get in, punch hard, and get out. And, you know, I'd assume, too, you put, like, a VCX-100 off the lot or off the shipyards, standing beside the Ghost, and it wouldn't look too different from each other. But, um, like you said, the stuff that they did to enhance its maneuverability and or stealthiness were, you know, in the innards. I mean, aside from some of the, the energy and the baffling they did... There's over 87 illegal upgrades <laughs> to the stealth system, which allow the freighter to mimic solar fluctuations or cosmic radiation on many sensors, therefore even further, just like making them look like nothing, and thus the ghost. So again, you can't see that from the outside, but from the inside, that makes it even more formidable. Yeah, and you know, if that doesn't work, there's always uh, Sabine's uh, special paint bombs. So uh, <laughs> yes. if all else fails... Blow them up with paint splatter, and then hit the pike. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, so, um, I mean, it really was uh, an integral ship for their rebel cell, but then everything got taken up a notch once they got involved with Fulcrum, and then she came on board and used that as almost a base of operations to further the cause for the rebels yes. and to kind of integrate them with other cells to some degree to kind of allow the alliance to restore the republic to kind of have a better idea of how effective their tactics were and how they could build that sort of momentum between cells by her communicating with yeah with uh, some of the hires up to really garnish more support, presumably more funds, mm. and more general sort of affirmation uh, among the people of the galaxy. Yeah, for sure. I mean, you know, we see that from Harris' perspective and her upbringing with her father and the rebel on his own, that fire within her, right? And she's obviously a natural leader, an amazing pilot. So as we pick up the story with them in Lothal and how they're doing these little uh, rebel cell uh, missions and... And I think really that where where Fulcrum comes in, and of course, Fulcrum in this case is we're talking about Ahsoka. And this is where her 
reintroduction to the Star Wars timeline, working between Bail Organa and, like you said, inclandestine communications with all these different cells. Therefore, if one is compromised, the other cell isn't. And so you really mm-hmm. string it along and, and doing those uh, you know, specific check-in points. And um, you got to think that the missions that they were doing, especially after Ezra joined the crew, that they you know, popped on the radar of the rebellion. It's like, wow, this, this crew working out of Lothal, we need to bring them in because they're what they set their minds to do, they take care of. While doing all that, they've also built up their own specific network of sympathizers. You know, we met a couple of those mm-hmm. characters throughout the series, uh, which obviously also became a huge part of the larger rebellion success. Yeah, yeah. And that's, uh, that's the thing is when you've got these freedom fighters that are really very effective at taking out other targets, military targets, um, then they can really almost prove themselves to the populace and say, Mm. look, you know, we are you, we're doing what we can to cripple, you know, this oppressive force that we're dealing with. And um, when the time comes and it becomes a more than just little battles and, you know, hit them where it hurts and and get out of there. Yeah. Then it's like, okay, well, these guys, they had come in and helped us, you know, back when we were being oppressed and the empire was taking over and all. And now it's time for them to, you know, up the ante. So let's join them in this fight. Yeah, absolutely. And like you said, those little skirmishes that they were doing on the outskirts and strategic get in, get out and and hit them where it hurts. Those types of missions came to a head when they were on a um, a specific uh, mission. And they ran into a Grand Inquisitor yeah. and end up destroying Tarkin's ship, the, the Sovereign. Yes. He had to evacuate what? the ship. What? In his moment of triumph? <laughs> well, it was a military target. Um, so, yeah, that's really where the tide turned, where the, the, the ghosts and the Spectre crew was now fully entrenched in with the larger rebellion. And uh, before we get into that major turning point, we're going to take a quick break, and we'll be right back. Good morning, Jeff. The usual? Nah, not this morning, Dex. I had a bad Ronto wrap last night, and my stomach is killing me now. Sorry to hear that. We're not in Batuu, you know. Does your stomach feel like you've eaten a bunch of death sticks? Trust Galactoseltzer to ease heartburn faster than a Neju. Wow, I feel great, Dex. Thanks. You want that calf to go? Yes, please. I'm ready to take on those rebels. Galactoseltzer, always the one. No more, no less. Results not guaranteed. And we're back. Uh, Thanks to our sponsors. And uh, just before the break, we were talking about how the... Ghost and the Spectre crew uh, had been doing their little skirmishes and getting get out and hit the Empire where it hurts. And they eventually ended up running into Tarkin and a much larger target. And that really turned the tide on where their their standing was within the rebellion. Not only that, but um, so as I was going to say before we uh, broke, you've got these whispers in the Empire of like, you know, there's... This, you know, it goes over to, to Luke as well. It's like, oh, you hear that guy that blew up the Death Star and all this. But once you are effectively taking them out at the knees, you almost make a name for yourself like the Ghost Crew did. And like, oh, these guys aren't just, you know, 
kids running around with slingshots. These are these are a force to be reckoned with. They, they somehow end up getting in and, and causing some serious damage without anybody really knowing. So, you know, it's almost like you have no choice to take them seriously because that's them. They're the kind of successful cell at whatever they're doing. Yep. And while they're folding into, especially after the encounter with Tarkin, that's when they officially joined the Phoenix Cell, which is the larger part of the growing rebellion at this point, which was uh, led by John Sato and then, of course, Vale, which was, of course, the connection back to uh, Ahsoka and then eventually Princess Leia. So, yeah, so that, like you said, their profile has risen not only within the rebellion itself, but also to the Empire, because now they're starting to recognize this ship. And, yep. you know, whether it's Thrawn eventually, um, who comes into the story, but also Alice, who's also like one of the, the ISB agents and almost becomes his uh, Moby Dick style, um, uh, chasing them because of what they're able to do. And as they roll into the larger uh, Phoenix cell of the Rebellion, uh, their missions now are also upped and the stakes are much higher as well. Yeah, and, um, you know, that ultimately leads them to um, seek out some reinforcements from time to time. <laughs> yes, indeed. Which leads them to um, to a few former uh, uh, veterans of the uh, Clone Wars, uh-huh. where uh, hilarity ensues. And, and also, um, I never thought a light freighter would be um, carrying uh, Z- Zillow tuna. <laughs> of course, our wonderful friend Hondo Anaka. Well, you know, if there is an opportunity, I, I will knock. So, <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> so, um, yeah, it really um, was, I think, the perfect storm of the crew being incredibly effective and the ship being a perfect conduit to mm-hmm. get them where they needed to be, to get them through some tight corners and hot messes that they were found themselves yes. in and ultimately to um, keep them going and moving forward because they, in, in any other ship, they, they would have been pinched for sure. Absolutely. And the ghost itself and, and the crew became almost a standard of blockade running because even if they, you know, the, the rebellion, as they were acquiring different kinds of ships and whether it was like the hammerhead corvettes or whatever, but they're literally, they were assembling all of these different ships while they're battling the empire. And the ghost became one of the best and secondarily, maybe the phantom or phantom two, um, as uh, unfortunately the first one was uh, destroyed, but those ships were able to evade the blockade. And in fact, in one of the, one of those cases, I think near the end of the, uh, the series, uh, we have Hondo to thank for one of the major uh, <laughs> blockade running. But um, we can get to that one. But yeah, so then the uh, the ghost crew, the ghosts and the uh, Spectre crew became an integral part of any assault on a blockaded planet, and there were a lot of those throughout the series. Oh yeah, yeah, that was like their uh, main mo is like if there's a blockade. We're gonna break it and, and uh, bring supplies to these people. That was that was their go to. Yeah, man. yeah. You know that was definitely hit them where they uh, where they hurt for the empire. But more importantly, like you brought up before, is where the rebellion is doing its best to you know take the pressure off the citizenry of the entire galaxy of the uh, of the grip of the empire and like you know building good uh, relations with these oppressed planets because of what the empire was doing, which is also a critical part of their entire mission. Oh yeah. Yeah, and uh, you know, like I said, it was incredibly effective because of 
all of those components working so tightly together. Mm-hmm. And uh, so Ahsoka was in and out of the crew, but there's a critical uh, arc of the Rebels where she was on the Ghost after actually that, uh, that encounter with Tarkin. Now they were on the radar of Darth Vader. And so as, as their profile for the wrong reasons from the Empire's perspective was raising now Vader's on the chase of this little annoyance. They had an encounter that uh, made her realize that Darth Vader was in fact Anakin, which is a huge storyline piece. And while it's not necessarily associated with the ghost, it's, it sort of plays into what that Ahsoka series may end up exploring and sort of flashbacks of what we could be seeing in that series. Yeah, which, um, you know, again, we've seen the ghost in live action very briefly, mm-hmm. but... I mean, it would be cool to see the crew on that ship in live action. Oh my gosh, that would! I mean, I've watched the trailer once. Have you seen the trailer at all? I'm um, sorry. For Ahsoka, there's a trailer. <laughs> you haven't seen? It? Yes. <laughs> okay, so we'll just leave that aside. Um, yes, and uh, you know, there's a whole bunch of you know potential storylines for this, which is really cool. Which is why it makes this series uh, really cool and important for the story itself. And um, Another potential uh, storyline plot is the the Pergils. Yes. Those uh, hyperspace traveling beasts. They better be in there. Yes. <laughs> Not saying anything. <laughs> well, I mean, I, I did see The Mandalorian Season 3, so. Oh, that's true. I do right, know that they go. exist. Right. However, I think... If they're not a major component to at least one of the subplots, then um, I think the whole uh, Ezra and Thrawn thing is kind of wasted. But that's just me. I don't know. <laughs> it's just the way the series ended. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, whatever. It's, you do what you want. I don't run the company. <laughs> but, yeah, so that's, I mean, that's kind of what makes the most sense, I think, for kind of kicking that part off, that part mm-hmm. of that series, yeah. And uh, so the, the Phantom, as we mentioned before, they were uh, on a mission at Reclam Station to try and uh, steal a bunch of Y-Wings that were scheduled for destruction. Yes. And during that mission, the uh, Phantom was destroyed. So they uh, were able to replace that with the Phantom 2, which then goes on from there uh, for the rest of the series. Well, at least in the Rebel series. So, you know, the, the Ghost itself did take damage and, uh, you know, experienced some... Uh, heavy uh combat scars yeah. but uh they always did their best to keep up with maintenance and uh, chopper of course was a big part of that but uh i can only assume that as part of the larger rebellion there's resources like you're saying you're going from small time missions to much larger integrated uh planned uh missions and therefore they get the resources of the phoenix cell and repairs and, and that kind of thing so making sure that the ship is viable and obviously a key uh, weapon with, within the Rebellion's availability of ships. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, if, if they had lost that thing, they would be in some serious trouble for sure. So as we saw with the increased profile, we're introduced to Thrawn as this highly intelligent strategic officer of the Imperial Navy and literally sent there by Palpatine to quash this uprising. And he very quickly becomes intrigued with the Ghost and its crew and we learned throughout the series that he looks at culture and art and all these very different facets of a person's history to help him develop tactics. And uh, he was a formidable foe for sure for the ghost and the crew. Yeah, and I think the main thing was that they were so effective. Nobody could figure them out and nobody could stop them. Mm. So it's it's one of those things where he's like, you're, oh crap guy. <laughs> 
when yep. these guys keep coming in and hitting where it hurts, it's like, oh crap, where's that guy? And then, um, <laughs> and then he comes in, he's like, all right, well, let me fix this for you, you know? <laughs> yeah, he was definitely one of those uh, characters within the series that uh, you saw him and you just like swallowed you. Um, we're not doing so well here, you know. Whether it was the uh, Sindula Kalakori or um, pieces of art from Sabine, he used all of these different pieces as their skirmishes uh, ensued to help him try and figure out what was happening. And ultimately, um, you know, he had uh, a great hand in their almost doom, but they, of course, managed to escape that with the help of their band of sympathetic helpers, yeah. whether it's uh, Hondo or the Purgle or some of the other characters that we see in the series. Uh, but it was a tall task to make that happen. And uh, as we see near the end of the series itself, the uh, Mon Mothma and the Gold Squadron yep. Y-Wings are also brought in. We start to see them on Yavin 4. Yeah. We even see Saw Gerrera comes into the story. So there's a really uh, impressive list of characters that we're getting more story of. But the final play of the series starts off with a blockade on Lethal. You know how our heroes hate those blockades on Lethal. <laughs> exactly. And it's a Hondo himself who suggests to Harrison Dula that they magnetically attach themselves to shipping containers that are being transported up and down from the surface. And uh, begrudgingly, she agrees. And of course, uh, it works like a charm. So I guess we could say that if it wasn't for Hondo, the Rebellion probably wouldn't survive. Well, of course, you could say it and you would be right. Um, and I think that's, you know, part of her conundrum was like, yeah, this is going to work. But it's his idea. So, like, he's going to get all big head about it. And he's going to be, like, you know, even more cocky about himself. You know, so it's like, you can understand her apprehension. But at the same time. Absolutely. Like, this is, this is the only way this gets done, you know. <laughs> it did get done. And I'm not going to sort of divulge the whole end sequence of the entire series. Because it's a fantastic one. But um, definitely worth watching. And uh, as we mentioned, the... One of the key moments of the end of the Rebels series is um, they, Purgil, again, come into play. They uh, wrap their tendrils around the Chimera, which is Thrawn's ship, and carry him and Ezra into deep space. And that's where the entire series ends and presumably uh, leads us in the Ahsoka series that's going to be coming soon. Because Spoiler. Spoiler. Spo <laughs> if you haven't seen the series, yes. Chopper ended up showing a hollow bit that Ezra had recorded, especially with the epilogue that we saw. Yes. Um, and that's kind of um, where I assume things will launch in the uh, Ahsoka series, because that's her in this timeline. Um, that's mm -hmm. the, kind of where she is and, and from what we've seen in the other um, live action. And um, so it only yeah. makes sense that the show will... Um, Kind of jump in from there, and then uh, some flashbacks would be nice. Yeah. And so after Rebels, we see uh, the ghost, or at least a VCX-100, in the Battle of Scarif. Mm -hmm. And, of course, we did see Yavin 4 really quickly, of course, part of Rogue One, which was fantastic. Mm -hmm. uh, and in the epilogue to the Rebel series, we see that Hera and her son Jason mm -hmm. are piloting the ghost on the Battle of Endor. Yes. Which is really cool to see. And uh, I also learned, too, the Phantom Two didn't survive the Battle of Endor, so therefore they now have the Phantom Three. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, you know, that's 
how these things work. Um, you're only going to get so lucky, you know? Yes. <laughs> Absolutely. But yeah, that um, that led to the Phantom 3, which presumably is uh, still in use today. Exactly. And was uh, appearing in Exegol, essentially, I would assume. Yeah. <laughs> unless something else happened between Jakku and Exegol. Well, you never know. <laughs> So we did see that, or at least, like I said, a VCX, but it's pretty much confirmed that it was the ghost uh, that uh, it joined Lando Calrissian yes. in the battle yes. for um, for Exegol. Yes, very cool. And uh, yeah, so aside from a uh, quick mention in the Solo Star Wars story is uh, Han's other ship that he was uh, putting up for uh, <laughs> part of the pot for his game of Sabacc against uh, Lando. <laughs> Which is pretty cool, like as a as a live action mention. Yes, and because um, of course he would. He probably just saw it in the uh, ship impound lot and was like, "Yeah, I'll give you this one too." It probably wasn't even wasn't even his. Sure. <laughs> no, of course not. <laughs> oh man, yeah. So that's kind of the structural bones of the uh, of the ghost there. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we touched upon the story and the characters. And again, we've seen this time and time again, where these sort of inanimate objects, quote unquote, are integral parts of the story and, uh, you know, shuttle our heroes from point A to point B. But they do play a much larger role within the overall story. Yeah. And, you know, like, like we said, it's, you know, it's the Rebels version of the Falcon. And you see how critical the Falcon was to the Rebels in the original trilogy. So it's like... You can imagine what would have happened if they didn't have that ship. How many close calls they got out of, how many, uh, you know, dangerous spots they escaped just because, um, you know, they happen to have that ship or a ship like mm-hmm. it. So mm-hmm. so it's very easy to see uh, very many similarities in the Rebel series because of the effectiveness of that ship and, and how it was able to help propel their story forward. Yep, absolutely. So that kind of stuff is just um, like a, a integral part of Star Wars, I think. You know, the, the ships yes. become characters or in their own right, you know? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I feel like that's probably the, um, the, the main parts of, um, of the ghost and its sort of mm-hmm. its contribution to, to Star Wars and... Um, and all of that. Yeah, it's a good starting point of a new series, which is going to be fun to explore. Yes, I'm excited. I hope we can uh, build more on these with some other really neat ship designs and everything. Yeah, absolutely. Cool. I said build on them. Because... <laughs> ah, uh, shipyards. <laughs> so anyway, there go the rest of our listeners. Um... <laughs> There goes the rest of our listener. Oh, Hey, Charles, in case you want any foot traffic, we're on uh, conversations.com. And yes. um, we're on the facebook.com slash conversations. At Swations on Twitter. Conversations on Instagram. Commerce-suations on Etsy. Mm-hmm. We have our link tree, link.tree slash conversations. We are proud founding members of the Red 5 Podcast Network at bio.link slash red5. And our favorite Lasat tribute band is Rob LeBarry and the LeBarry Tones. That, of course, is Rob LeBarry of the Jedi Temple Archives podcast. 
And you know, of course, who uh, who does all their uh, sound mixing and recording, right? No. Bro, the Scarif Podcast. Oh, okay. I didn't yeah. realize that. Yeah. yeah. He does all their videography and recording. Yeah. He's their man behind the scenes. All right. Yeah. Look good on tour, which is a hell of a feat. Right. You know, you need two cameras just to get Rob on the screen. So it's a bunch of equipment. Aww. He's very tall. He is tall. He's quite tall. Just like a Lissot. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> oh, my. Well, I guess that'll do it for today, kids. listener just a reminder that the podcast you just heard is a proud member of the red five network family red five network.com offers you a great variety of shows you'll be sure to love so the next time you're itching for quality content make sure you head over to red five network.com you'll find this podcast along with a whole lot more all wings report in it's the red five network <laughs>